Welcome to the prolific teaching ministry of Pastor Emmanuel Iren, lead pastor of Celebration Church International. It is his vision to partner with you for your progress and joy in the faith. Ready, set, grow. Now, um, I'm sharing something very important. Listen, of all the things you can learn in the Word of God, what I'm sharing with you is one of the most important things. Last week, I called it the glass jaw, and glass jaw is just a boxing jargon to reveal a phenomenon where you can be a strong fighter with very fierce attack, but poor defense. My father-in-law was trying to tell me the name of the particular boxer. That's not important. But there was a particular boxer who went on unbeaten for a long time until someone discovered that he had a very poor defense on his jaw. That if you just punch him, he must have been from his jaw or something like that. I'm just playing. If you just punch him here, the match is over. And he began to lose from that moment. And that metaphorically describes many Christians very fierce in prayer, fierce in the study of the word, and in every other thing. But like I would often say, many Christians are one trial away from backsliding. One trial. Because they have not been taught Christian defense. God wants to make you strong with his word. He says, they that know their God shall be what? Hallelujah. God wants to make you strong. In the face of trials and tribulations, that having done all, you stand. Amen, somebody. Hallelujah. Help me prophesy to the person by your side. Say, you'll be here for a long time. Hallelujah. Tell someone else, say, 50 years from now, you'll still be praising Jesus. Say, 70 years from now, you'll still be praising Jesus. Now, tell yourself, I'll be here for a long time. Glory to God. All right, so I want to teach on something. I changed the title this morning. I want to call it Looking Unto Jesus. Looking Unto Jesus. Turn your Bibles very quickly. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15. The simple objectives of this sermon, number one, is to teach you how to handle tribulations. And number two, how to walk perpetually in the joy of the Lord. Number one, how to handle tribulations. And number two, how to walk perpetually in the joy of the Lord. Are you in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15? If you're there, say, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh. All right, let's read together. One, two, go. For we do not have, come on, are you with me? Read, I want us to read in unison. One, two, go. For we do not have a high priest who cannot empathize with our weakness, but was in all points tempted as we are, Yet without sin. You see, one of the many questions that people ask about Christians and the Christian faith is this. If God is all-powerful, why is there suffering? Where was God at 9-11, you know, when terrorists ran into the World Trade Center and people for, for fear of their life had to jump from an incredible height? It was just like they were trapped between the devil and the deep blue sea. Which death do you prefer? You know, it's, it's very crazy and sad experience. Where was God when terrorists went and kidnapped the Chibok girls? Where was God when we had numerous school shootings in schools in the U.S.? You know, they ask questions like that. Now, there are three biblical answers to that question. 
Number one is this, and please pay attention, you will need this one day. Number one, whilst God is all-powerful, he also gave men free will. Say a loud amen if that's true. Whilst God is all-powerful, he also gave men free will, and he did that because he loves us, and he wants to have family with us. Now, imagine someone loves you, but he's afraid you will cheat on him, so after the marriage, he just locks you and says, you will never leave this house. I don't want you to disappoint me. Is that love? But, but subconsciously, some of us expect God to do that. Because if God will restrain all men from disobeying him, it means they cease to have free will. They become robots. And that is not love. Guess what? For love to be possible, hate must also be possible. Man must have choice. For love to be love, hate must be an option. And God wants us to choose him. I said before you, life and death, blessing and cursing. He says, choose life that you may live. And that leads me to the second point. The first is, whilst it is true that God is all-powerful, he gave men free will. Number two, Adam abused that free will and sinned. Adam abused that free will and sinned. And so the Bible says, by one man's sin... Or by one man, sin entered into the world and death by sin. Romans chapter 5 verse 12. That, my brothers and sisters, is the origin of pain. Not God. But by man, eating of that tree, death entered into the world. And listen, by procreation, like a DNA, it was passed to all men. So that all will inevitably die. Please, are you with me? But the good news is, and this is where I'm driving at, it doesn't end there. God doesn't just say, well, I gave you free will, you blew it, so live with it. It doesn't end there. The text you just read said, we do not have a high priest. Oh my God. That is not touched with the feelings of your infirmity. Was at every point tempted as we are, yet without sin. So listen, God took on flesh, dwelt amongst us, and died our death. So listen, God has empathized with us in our frailty. He has identified with us in suffering. That's powerful. The songwriter said, he walked where I walk. He stood where I stand. He knows my frailties. He understands. He says, God with us, close to us, Emmanuel. Amen, somebody. And so you can no longer ever say that he doesn't understand. I mean, what is it you want to say that you're going through in life? Oh, I remember this time they lied against me in a very wicked way. And he says, me too. I remember this time that they beat me up. He says, me too. I remember this time. In fact, not this time. Right now, I'm under so much pressure. It feels like I'm going to die. He says, me too. Have you read about Gethsemane? And what happened there? He was under pressure. You know, he told his disciples, my soul is exceeding sorrowful unto death. He has identified with us in suffering. He didn't have to. That's a tale of grace on its own. And I can spend the whole sermon talking about that, but for the sake of this sermon, he has identified with us in suffering. And then he tells us, don't worry, 
because of what I've done. It doesn't matter what they do to you and how far they take their wickedness. Even if they kill you, I will give you another life. Amen, somebody. Even if they break this body of yours, I will give you a new one. That, my friends, is the hope of the gospel. That, my friends, is the hope of the gospel. He has promised. He said, I will wipe away the tear from every eye. Do you believe him? But you see, Christ's example is the greatest lesson on how to handle pain. You know, there's a text we know very well, Isaiah chapter 53, you know, especially verse 5, he was bruised for iniquities, wounded for transgressions, the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are what? You know, but when you read verse 3, verse 3 says something very important. Don't forget the title is looking on to Jesus. What are we to look to Jesus for? I will tell you. He says, we despised him, Isaiah 53 verse 3, and rejected, he's despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Listen, this is a story of a hero we are not used to. We are used to heroes who don't die, who go through trials unscathed. You know, something happened this morning. I was up early praying and all of that. And then Pastor Tomiwa said, Israel, this one is about to fight. Are you watching it? Man? I fell for the bait. Quickly recharged my DSTV. And he lost. <laughs> you know. And even if I was chatting with Pastor Tomiwa, I could bet he was crying. He, he was for the, for the way. He said, no, Lord, no, Lord. I said, you know, but when I thought about it, I mean, it's a sport. And this guy went on beating for such a long time. Listen, even the greats, come on, are you with me? Even the greats lose. I know we have fairy tale expectations where someone will never lose, you know, and all of that. And I mean, there's been maybe about one person like that in history Mayweather and all of that. But it happens. And honestly, it doesn't make him any less great. In his prime, he was unbeaten. Amen, somebody. And now the Bible is telling us this about our own Savior. He says, Isaiah is talking about him. In future, he's talking, he's prophesying about the kind of Savior they're going to have. He says, he's a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. You know what Jesus said much later? He said, ought not the Christ to suffer these things and to enter his glory? The suffering was going to lead to glory. The glory will be predicated by suffering. And this is something he wants us to understand and embrace. And it's something to learn from. Now, put on your thinking caps and listen to me very well. Do you believe that you cannot be a Christian without implicitly agreeing that good can come out of pain? That to be saved, you must confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Like, to be saved, you must believe that Jesus died and that God raised him up the third day. So, it is impossible 
To become a Christian without believing implicitly that good can come out of pain. Oh my God. And so the Christian faith has changed your perspective to pain forever, whether you like it or not. Now you know that it is possible for men to want it for evil and God will turn it around for good. That's your perspective. That's your example. And the Bible says for you to have that as an example, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith, who for the joy that was set before him. Listen, you, we are used to looking unto Jesus for salvation, trusting him for salvation. But now he's saying, this should be your mentor, your example in handling tribulations. And what did he say? Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despite the shame. And he sat down at the right hand of God in majesty. Amen, everybody. Amen. Oh, oh, come on, your amen should be louder than that. Amen. So we want to learn from Jesus because the Bible says to look unto him. So much I can say about that. Do you realize that Jesus was born to die? Do you realize? We've actually sang it in our songs. Crucified, remember? Laid behind the stone. Come on. You lead to die, rejected and alone, like a rose, trampled on the ground, and you took the fall, and thought of me. How do you all sound so good? Anyways, it may be never dawned on you. The line, the line of that song says, you lived to die. Think about it. That every passing moment of his early ministry, he knew he was going to die. And he was not depressed. Think about that. There were seven recorded times in his early ministry where he intimated that he was going to die. One of the times, Peter tried to rebuke him for it. And he said, get it behind me, Satan. For you savor not the things that be of God. What kind of man was this? What kind of man was this? And he knew that no matter how great his earthly ministry went or became, his assignment remained the assignment. You know, something happened Jesus' popularity kept increasing, but there was something that happened that took it to another level. When he raised Lazarus from the dead, you have to understand, listen, first and foremost, when you understand Judaic traditions, you, they, it, it was believed that once someone was dead for more than three days, his soul had gone irredeemably to his final destination, either Abraham's bosom or hell. And so for Jesus to, in fact, you now understand why he waited four days. 
Because for someone who understood Judaic tradition, they knew if you raise someone who was dead four days, you must be God. And that's what he wanted to prove. And he raised him up four days. After that miracle, his popularity transcended Jerusalem. You know, they came to him and they said, the Greeks seek you. The Greeks were the intellectual elite of the time. Now even the Greeks are looking for you. You know what he responded immediately when they said the Greeks look, look seek you. He said, except a corn of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it abides alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. It means, listen, as great as all this invitation and attention is, my greatest destiny will come from dying. Think about that. He didn't even wait till the next day to respond that way. Oh, the Greeks seek me, except the corn of wheat fall to the ground and die. I won't allow all these things to distract me from my destiny. What manner of man is this? And now the Bible says, looking unto Jesus. Oh my God. It doesn't matter what else you've learned since you started coming to church. Since you got born again. If you have not developed a tough skin, you have not followed Christ as you should. There is a lesson in handling tribulations by following Christ. Looking unto Jesus. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross. There is an endurance. You develop stamina following Jesus. Please, are you with me? And I, I just want to show us how. How do we do this? I will show you five ways. And I will start from this text. Everybody look at Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2. Everybody read it together, one, two, go. Looking unto Jesus, the author and... Uh-huh. So number one, what are the things we learn about handling tribulations looking unto Jesus? The Bible says, he set joy before him. I know the text says, who for the joy set before him, as if someone did it for him. But that text, the Greek word actually means for something to be present in the mind. No one else could have done it for him. Oh my God, this is very important. So he set joy before him. This was his mentality. So it means there is a training here. It is possible for you to think joy when joyful things are happening. But for you to set joy before you, in spite of what you are going through, there's a training for it. You can learn it. And in fact, he says you should learn that from Jesus. He set joy before him. Oh my God. What if you learned to do this? I know it's easier said than done. Maybe you are even thinking, Pastor, you don't understand what I'm going through. It's hard to set joy before me. You know, if you were going through what I'm going through, maybe you would struggle to do it. Even if you claim I don't understand, you can't claim Christ doesn't understand. Because there is every likelihood, no matter how bad what you're going through is, it is not as bad as crucifixion. I've told you this before. Crucifixion introduced a new level of pain mankind had never seen. So much so that a new word to describe pain had to be birthed from the concept of crucifixion. When you hear the English word excruciating, excruciating, it's a level of pain that crucifixion introduced. 
Are you listening to me? You might be going through a lot, but it is possible to set joy before you. This is a very important perspective principle. Someone else will call it half empty. You will call it half full. It's a perspective issue. Meaning, you may be going through a lot. How about you learn to recognize what is going well in your life? Some people just complain about everything and see the worst in everything. If you want to be, if you want to be happy, if you want to live long, if you want to be happy in God, learn to recognize what is working. What is working in your life? Set joy. Set joy. Please, are you listening to this? Oh my God. Now, has something, some of you can relate to this. Think back maybe years ago. Did anything ever happen and you were wondering how you would survive? In fact, you were not sure how you would survive. Maybe you were going through a hard time. God, why would this happen to me? How will I go through this? God forbid, maybe you lost a job. Or for some of you, it was in school. You discovered you were going to, you're, going to need, you're going to need an extra year. How embarrassing will it be? Or maybe for some of you, what was the cause of your concern has not even changed. It is still there. But have you noticed that as time passes, you don't feel as sad or as bad as you were years ago? Has it happened to you before? Is that relatable? Now, does that mean that what happened diminished? So how come you no longer feel as bad? It means unintentionally, you had magnified it in your mind in the past. Please, are you listening to me? Oh my God. Listen, what I'm sharing is very simple, but if you learn this, so it, it means as time goes on, nature has a way of bringing things that you thought were insurmountable to their actual size. It gets to a point. It looks like complacence. But the same thing that kept you up at night, you just, when you are fought, 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 you now learn to leave it up to God. Abi? But imagine that you have that mentality from the get-go. From the get-go, you choose to, to don't take life too deeply. Just live a little more. I'll tell you a simple secret in case you, you have not articulated it in your mind before. What you cannot control, you cannot control. When Jesus said, which of you by worrying can add a cubit to your stature? That's, that's an advice for longevity. That is my worry. It won't change anything. It won't change anything. All right, I cried and it's understandable. Even Jesus wept. But it's not going to change anything. So, what if you had that mentality? Whatever I cannot change, I cannot change. You will be strong. You will last longer. Some of you is guilt from the past. You've done things you're not proud of. Guess what? You can't change it. It's, it's a very smart, if you want to learn to move on, just, just recognize it has happened. You know, someone quoted a text 
Saul was king. He messed up. And the prophet was mourning and mourning and mourning until one day God came to him and said, how long will you mourn? Stand up and go to the house of Jesse. There's a new king there. How long? Stand up. Some of you have been crying too long. Do you understand what I'm saying? So, listen, listen. On the strength of the word of God, I'm telling you as bad as things are, the Bible says there is hope for a tree if it be cut down. At the scent of water, it will sprout up again. It doesn't matter how bad things are. You are alive. You are alive. A living dog, the Bible says, is better than what? A dead lion. So, how about you? Thank God for your life. And set joy always before you. So it is possible to set joy always before you. Don't dwell on the pain. Hallelujah. Yes, they broke up with you. You now went to create breakup playlists. Uh, what, what, what are you trying to achieve? Listen, the reason I have to tell you this is because there is a carnal tendency for us to want to sink in the pain so that we can bait others to feel sorry for us. That's not how to heal. That's not how to move on. They broke your heart eight years ago. It's still fresh. Even wound don't heal. Uh -uh. What kind of wound is that? See, checking in on Instagram. Excuse me. (laughs) (laughs) No, you best by your side. Say, move on, move on, move on. (laughs) Hallelujah. The Bible says Jesus set joy before him. Hallelujah. Set joy before him. Listen, set joy before you. Set joy. Set joy. Let me tell you something. I don't think I've ever said this before. But it's one of the principles I have. When everyone expects me to be sad and low, I put in my best. Hallelujah. You were disappointed. The next day, wear your best clothes. You know what you're doing? You are doing something to your mind. You are creating a perspective of hope for your heart. I'm not, I'm, I'm not going down. Do you understand what I'm saying? I ain't going down. No, I'm not going down. Put on your best smile. Go and do something you love. With people who truly care about you. Please, are you listening? I'm teaching you how to survive. Ah, don't die, you. <laughs> He set joy. You know what the Bible says next? He despised the shame. Oh my God. I think I've gotten to a point where he said, I, I don't care anymore. It's something you can do. You can despise shame. Despise it. Meaning, you can think less of it. You see, if, you're not, if you don't learn this, 
things you, you ought not to be ashamed of. You'll be ashamed of it. Growing up in primary school, there were a lot of examples of people who have beautiful native names. Not all are beautiful, but you know, you get what I'm saying. You know, and people want to make fun of it. And they are bringing different twists, different, you know, they'll call it in different ways. It's a fine name. It has a meaning. I mean, this is not for everybody, but you get what I'm saying. In most cases. I'm not sure that example is helping. (laughs) Despising the shame. Let me tell you something. In the history of the church, are you aware that this is one of the best things in the history of the church? That things that were supposed to be an occasion for shame, we wore it like a badge. Are you aware that once upon a time, the word Christian was supposed to be derogatory? They said it to mock us, Christ followers. It was like a slang. But now we have worn it like a badge. Yes, we are Christians. What a way to live. Oh, you want us to cry about that? I remember, you know, I entered one room when I was in the university. And one guy, he couldn't hide his disdain. He just smacked, said, huh, born again. And I was thinking to myself, am I supposed to cry? Oh, my God, I have eternal life and you're going to die. Oh, I'm so sad. Uh-uh. You won't use eternal life, mock me. <laughs> you know what I did? I said, born again, so far. <laughs> you know what See, See, born again. Um, oh, my God, I will live forever. You will die. <laughs> I don't understand. I'm a child of God. Glory to God. Washed by his blood. Sanctified. Purified. Glory to God. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Hallelujah. So after a while, they adopted the name. The Bible says that the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. It wasn't a revelation. The word, the name wasn't a revelation. Believers are called in Christ, not Christians. The truth is, Christian doesn't actually describe us well. We are more than followers. We are in Christ. But I like it when what they were trying to use to mock you, you wear it like a badge. Yes, we are proud of it. Do you know how interesting it is that the most popular symbol of Christianity is the cross? The devil must hate it so much because he must have expected us to be embarrassed by it. And even from the logical standpoint, a lot of people in those days couldn't understand it. He says, Paul said to the church at Corinth, he says, the preaching of the cross is to them who perish foolishness Because don't you understand what it represented to the world? This guy who claimed to be the son of God was was put on a cross. And he couldn't save himself. They tried to get him to physician, heal yourself. Because you see, their definition of heroics was for him to come down, remove the nails, you know, and do all of that. Kill yourself. Save yourself. He says, but to we who believe is the power of God. Let me give you a bit of history. Are you aware that it was forbidden 
for you to beat as much as beat a a Roman, a Roman citizen. To strip a Roman citizen naked, the much less, are you aware, crucifixion was forbidding for Roman citizens. Cicero was quoted saying that, forbidding. A Roman citizen should never be crucified except in very rare and high cases of treason. So it was an abomination to, the, to Rome. Now, the Son of God is on a cross. What is God doing on a cross? The Bible says it's foolishness to men of the world. What about to the Jews? Have you forgotten that the Jewish Bible said, Cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree. You, you have to understand that to a Jew, there is no signification, there is no difference between a cross and a tree. One is made from the other. And so for anyone at all, let alone the Son of God to be hanging on a tree, what's he doing there? To Rome, it was an abomination. To the Jews, it was an abomination. But there, he bled and died. And today, confidently, all over the world, we hang it on our buildings. Oh, my God. We wear it with a pendant. We wear it as a pendant. We put it on our shirt. We put it everywhere. Because not only did our Savior die, we are ready to carry our cross and follow him. Hallelujah. Yes, it's an emblem of suffering and, and shame, but the, like the song says, we cleave to that old rugged cross. We identify with him in suffering. He identified with us. We identify with him. We are not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God unto salvation to those who believe. You know, so when you look at the history of the church, like I said, it teaches you how to deal with pain. How we took what they, what they tried to use to shame us and we made it our symbol. They meant it for evil. God meant it for good. On the third day, he rose again. Amen. Glory to God. Because you have to understand, you see, what God did was more powerful. If Jesus came down from the cross, removed the nails, you know, and led a revolution for the independence of the Jews... You have to understand, men can do that. Men can lead a revolution. Men can inspire policies for a better nation. And the other people were expected to do that. That's not why he came. That's something Julius Caesar-esque. Julius Caesar can do that. Conquer territories. But when the man dies and rises again, oh my God. Now, it means that even death no matter how great men are, there is something that is beyond their purview. Death, death, he died and rose again. He must be God. There was no other way to prove his claim but to die and rise again. Please, are you with me? He set joy before him. And what is the next thing? Are you following at all? He did what?
The next lesson to learn from this is he did not treat the pain as though it were final. God. He didn't treat the pain as final. Please, I beg you, listen to me. I'm not trying to preach a good sermon. I'm teaching you something that if you practice, your life will never be the same again. He did not treat the pain as final. So when the Bible says, he who for the joy, come on, are you with me? Set before him. So he looked beyond the pain. He knew that there was light, or let me say life at the end of the tunnel. He knew he would rise again. He saw beyond it. You know, I might, it might seem cliche. You might have heard this before. A lot of people preach this way. When the Bible says it shall come to pass, it shall come to pass, a lot of people say, say, take that from a prophetic standpoint to say it means no matter what you're going through, it will come and it will pass. It is destined to come and pass. What if you had that perspective that you are going through a tough time, about to go through the cross, but you see beyond it. Your eyes are beyond the cross three days after. That's where your focus is. For the joy set before. For someone else, he will see the cross set before. But he saw the joy. He saw after the cross. Hallelujah. What if you stopped recognizing that trial as final? When you stop acting like it's going to end your life, that that's where your destiny ends, like that's where your name will end, or that that's where your story will end. No. Hallelujah. After this thing has run its course, I will still be standing. I will still be alive. Come on, say loud amen if you believe. <laughs> Look at a very powerful text from Psalm chapter 16. Psalm chapter 16, I'm going to read from verse 8 to 11. This, by the way, was, uh, it's called the Messianic Psalm. It was a prophecy about Christ and what he was going to go through. So I want you to read so that you see the mentality. Oh, my God. I think that if you understand this, it will make you rejoice. But we'll see. He says, I've set the Lord always before me. He's at my right hand and I shall not be moved. Everybody read verse 9 together. One to go. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will what? All right. So meaning, this is a prophecy about the death of Christ. He says, I will die hopeful. Meaning, oh my God. You see, as far as men are concerned, death is the end. Let me go and finish this sermon on the mainland. You people are not ready. Are you paying attention? I said, as far as men are concerned, death is the end. But he says, I will rest in hope. Meaning, I have seen something beyond that death. And he tells you why in the next verse. Everybody, read as loud as you can. One, two, go. For you will not leave my soul in hell, nor will you allow your holy one to what? Oh my God. Now, listen, listen. So, if the Bible says look to Jesus, it means that from this, from the way he handled death, you can handle pain. 
So it means that the secret of the way he handled death was that he knew God was greater. The Father is greater. And even if I am surrendered to death, I won't remain there. What if you trusted the providence of God? You trusted Jaira. If God allowed me to go through this pain, it means there's a way out. Are you aware the Bible says that about you? That he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able to bear. So if it came my way, it means there's an end. Come on, are you with me? He says he will not leave my soul. So where, where is your soul right now? And is there, is there an escape there? Have you seen an escape? Have you seen a way out? What if you said this about your trial and your trust in God? He will not leave my soul there. Hey, my God, I might be going through this right now, pressed on every side, but he will not leave my soul there. I trust him with my life. He will not suffer me to see corruption. Whatever that might mean in your own context. Because listen, if Jesus went as far as death, the Bible says he was obedient unto death. How much more? Do you understand what I'm saying? Whatever it is you are going through, he won't leave my soul there. He says, God is faithful. Who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able to bear? So I have this perspective of the providence of God. If the mountain came my way, it means it can be moved. I take that again. If the mountain came my way, it means it can be what? And it seems there is no way out. Maybe there is no logical way out. The doctor says for this particular ailment, there is no cure. But think about it. Even in death, Jesus saw a way out. Oh, my God. Go back to that text quickly. I'm not done. I'm not done. I'm not done. Psalm chapter 16. All right. We read verse 10, right? He says, for you will not leave my soul in the grave, neither will you suffer your holy one to see corruption. Read verse 11 as loud as you can. Want to go? <laughs> Hold on. Hold on. So he says there is a path. Come on, are you with me? In the grave, there is supposed to be an end. No way out. But he says even in the grave, there's a way out. 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 Glory to God. Even in the grave, you're talking about a path. You will show me the path of life. Glory to God. If, if Jesus could see a path of life out of the grave, what about what you're going through? There is a way out. Listen, I'm prophesying to you, there's a way out. You may not see it, it doesn't matter. I said there's a way out. You will show me the path of life. Glory to God. There's a way out of this trial. A way out. As, I, as I'm talking now, I'm staring up revelation. Divine ideas are coming out. Hallelujah. There's a way out. Divine possibilities are stirred in you. There's a way out. This is biblical vocabulary. There is hope for a tree. Oh my God. Even if it is cut down, there is hope for a tree. There's a way out. You will show me the path of life. Glory to God. I like the fact that he said, you will show me. Means you may not see it. From where you stand, there's no way out. But he said, he will show you. He will show you. you you'll, 
you thought your career had ended, he will show you a way out. You thought you couldn't live long because of what the doctor said the last checkup. But there's a way out. There's a way out. There's a way out. You will show me the path of life. Speak in tongues for a few minutes. Oh, come on, don't whisper. There might be one, two, three people here who need this sermon. Make this moment count and pray in the spirit. Pray in the Spirit. Pray in the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. 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 Say there's a way for me. There's always a way for me. There's always a way for me. There's always a way for me. Hallelujah. Say he has shown me the path of life. Thank you, Jesus. It is true about salvation and it is true practically. It's always a way out. Always a way out. You know what the Bible says? It says it makes a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Thank you, Jesus. Oh my God, let faith rise in your heart. He makes a way in the wilderness. Rivers in the desert. Hey my God. You know, another text says, when men say there is a casting down, hey, you will say there's a lifting up. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Woo! Hey, 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 hey. Thank you, Jesus. Please be seated. Please be seated. I want to illustrate something to you. Tommy, please come. Um, there's another protocol guy. That's a guy who is usually with me. Come, here, you. And then you come also. also. Please, if, if I am, please come. Please just stand here. Now, let's imagine. Let me also borrow you. Let's imagine we get into an argument. All right? And it gets heated. And we want to fight. Who do you think will win? <laughs> All right. 
You know, I don't rate me, no problem. <laughs> so, <laughs> by the anointing. Is it the way they anointing? Is it? <laughs> you know now, but imagine all these my guys are around. And he's like, you know what? Come, come, come and try and get me. Come on, I want to see what you guys are going to do. <laughs> it's just film now. <laughs> All right. Thank you. So now they're, they're, they're warding him off, right? Let me tell you something. Every time you go through a tough time, implicitly, the size of your God will be revealed. Because listen, when you had a headache, you just took painkillers and you were okay. But there are some things the doctor said, we see in your body, God forbid, and you lost your sleep. The problem is not the ailment. The problem is you think there is no solution. Are you with me? So every time you go through a tough time, the size of your God will be revealed. Never forget that. I'm not, I'm not in any way downplaying what you're going through. It might be big. I'm saying your God is bigger. Have you heard that cliche statement? Stop telling God about your problems and start telling your problems about God. You see, you see so that leads me to my next point. You know, trusting God with your life. Do you know what it means to walk into a grave? Even if they told you it's part of the script. Even if they told you it's part of the script, don't worry, three days after, you walk in there, that ultimate trust. Ultimate trust. Do you understand what I'm saying? So now, the one you are dealing with, death is not a problem for him. Do you believe that? Even death is not a problem. So when you see your example in Jesus, that he was obedient unto death. There are levels of obedience. So. Meaning as he was going to die, his confession didn't change. When they spat on him, his confession didn't change. When they put crown of thorns on his head, his confession didn't change. When they beat him and stripped him naked, his confession didn't change. You know why? That will show me the path of life. He says, you will not suffer your holy one to see corruption. God loves me and he's powerful. If he allowed this, there must be a way out. There must be a way out. I trust God with my life. You know, last week Sunday, I shared something I've shared once before. Why did Abraham take Isaac to that high mountain? Why? We know, first and foremost, human sacrifice is abominated. God says he's abominated. In fact, part of the reason God drove the people who were inhibiting the promised land so that the children of Israel can stay there is because they were sacrificing their children, amongst other things. So God says, take your son and offer him to me. Abraham should have known immediately that that was not literal. But well, he was wrong. He thought it was literal. So why did he do this? There's something powerful to learn there. Listen to me. The writer of Hebrews tells us why. In Hebrews 11, it says, By faith, Abraham, when he was commanded, 
offered up Isaac. He says, accounting that God was able to raise him up. Listen, so God told me, in Isaac shall your seed be called. And now God is saying, offer up Isaac. Because I know God cannot lie. No one explained this to him. This was his thought process and his conclusion. Because I know God cannot lie, it means God plans to raise Isaac up. So it was easier for Abraham to believe that God plans to raise Isaac up than to believe that God changed his mind. That's such a mind-blowing perspective of faith. Give your life to God. Not just in salvation, in the practical aspects of your life. Surrender it. Now, you don't know. The way this economy is going, you don't know. You don't know how things will be. But you trust God. You know what Paul said? I know of whom I believed. I am persuaded he's able to keep that which I've committed to his hands. My life is in his hand. Hallelujah. I may not know tomorrow, but I know one who holds tomorrow. Glory to God. Give him praise right now. Thank you very much. Hallelujah. So this is part of your trust in Jairah. He saw tomorrow. He didn't avert this problem. It means there's a way out. It's the revelation of Jairah. Abraham, when he got to the mountain, found a ram in the ticket. That's my life forever. So if I, if I ever encounter any problem, there's a way out. God will not allow any problem come your way except the cure first exists. The, problem, the answer must first exist before it can come your way. Trust him with your life. When you trust him in, with your life, like Joseph, instead of being depressed in Potiphar's house, you will serve faithfully. You will enjoy the process. Come on, are you with me? And then even when things got worse and you ended up in prison, you are still serving faithfully in prison. Hallelujah. Because when you know who you are dealing with, you know that the distance between prison and palace is not far. It's not far. With God, one snap of the finger, everything has changed. I trust him with my life. Glory be to God. All right, what's number one? What's number two? What's number three? What's number four? And number five, as I round off, let the Lord himself be your joy. I want us to do a simple juxtaposition of the two texts that we've been using. Hebrews chapter 12 and Psalm 16. So in Hebrews chapter 12, Media team, open Psalm 16 first, verse 8. Now, in Hebrews chapter 12, he says, Who for the joy set before him, right? Now, Hebrews 12, let's take it again. Hebrews 12, 2 says, Who for the joy set before him, right? Now, what joy was set before him? Look at Psalm chapter 16, verse 8. Psalm 16, verse 8. He says, I have set what? I have set who? The Lord. the Lord always before me. Meaning his joy was not circumstantial. 
His joy was not in an occurrence, but in a person. I've said, you, you want to be happy all your life? Don't set your joy on things that can change. Set your joy on the Lord. Set your joy on the Lord. I have set the Lord always before me. Of the many metaphors used to describe God, the Bible calls him a rock. He cannot move. If your joy is in the Lord, your joy will be permanent. Your joy will stand the test of time. And by the way, there is a joy that doesn't come from how much money you have in your bank account or how people treat you or how the economy is or, or anything that you are faced with around you. It doesn't come from anything around. It comes from inside. Do you know what Paul says? He says the kingdom of God is not in meat or drink. He says it's in what? Righteousness, peace, and what? Joy. Do you believe there is joy in the Holy Ghost? Listen. So now, there is joy in nice cars. There is joy in a good job. There is a joy, there's joy in watching Messi play. That Ballon d'Or is happening if you cry. <laughs> See, when he wins that new Ballon d'Or, eh, no sermon you won't hear. <laughs> I will preach about it like five times. Just prepare your mind. Hallelujah. There's joy in things. But there is a type of joy. The Bible says joy in the Holy Ghost. It comes from the Holy Ghost. It's a fruit of the spirits. Hallelujah. And that one is permanent, permanent, permanent. Now you understand why the disciples, when they were going through all those trials, they could still smile. Because, of this, because the source of the smile was from inside. This Holy Ghost I'm talking about, is there anyone here who by any chance has this Holy Ghost? Yeah. Hallelujah! If you have the Holy Ghost, you have joy in chaos. Peace that makes no sense. Glory to God! Hallelujah. Brag about him. Say, I still have joy. Because my source of joy is the Holy Ghost. Say, no matter what I'm faced with. Say, I have joy and chaos. And peace that makes no sense. Just give him praise. 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 Hallelujah. Listen. Something is about to break in this atmosphere right now. I just want to pray right now and we move. Hallelujah. He said, I'm the God of all flesh. Is anything too hard for me? Is anything too hard for me? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Listen, I just want us to sing this very quickly. Gen Z, do you know it? Our Lord God, thou that made the heaven and the earth with your outstretched arm. Nothing is it God for thee. Yeah, I even 
never forgot it. Nothing is too difficult for thee. Great and mighty God. Great and so mighty is he. Mighty is he. Nothing, nothing, absolutely nothing. Nothing is too difficult for thee. Hallelujah. 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 It says, God who commanded light to shine out of darkness. That's who your God is. Light can come out of darkness. In the name above every name. There is no accident in the realm of the spirit. I must have come here for someone. I must have come here for someone. Now in the name of Jesus, I stretch my hand towards you. Whatever darkness you are faced with, whatever trial you are faced with, whatever thing that is called impossible, God who commanded light to shine out of darkness has shown in that situation. Let the impossible be made possible. For that sickness they said had no cure. Cure has come. Thank you, Jesus. Listen, I got a testimony just yesterday. And I feel it's there in my spirit to share the same thing. Someone said I was preaching in Portacourt and I got a word of knowledge. I said, I seen a vision, a lady crying. You lost your baby and the Lord said, by the next deeper, you'll be carrying your baby in your hands. She said, she sent a message, said, Pastor, I just got my baby. It might have been three weeks after, but the timing was still on point, right? In the name above every name. Oh, Jesus, 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 Jesus. Thank you that you always honor your word. I pray for everyone here battling anything called limitation. By a creative miracle, carry your miracle in your hands. Carry your Samuel in your hands. Carry your answer in your hand. I want to start from that exact example I gave. Anyone trusting God for the fruit of the womb. One year from now, you'll be carrying your baby in your hand. Every business that might have been shut down. You've tried everything Every door that was shut is open now. There is an answer for you. There is an answer for you. There is an answer for you. Anyone called sick, be healed in your body. Be cleansed in your blood. Be strengthened in your bone. In the mighty name of Jesus, I rebuke that mental plague. In the mighty name of Jesus. Oh, thank you, Lord. Glory be to God. If you received something, show it, show it, show it, show it. 
listening. We are sure that you have been blessed. For inquiries, reach us on our helpline 0809-996-7000. Blessings.